Oh my God. Welcome back to the NBA Recap Show on the Mojo Sports Network. I've got with me Tom and Yuri today to talk about what has gone on this last week. As always, it just feels like it gets better and better each week in the NBA playoffs, but this week in particular, we saw Michael Jordan return for two games playing for the Miami Heat in Jimmy Butler, as well as, um, look, just some fantastic action. And to talk with me today, I've got Jerry Bilsich and Tom Dev. Tom from theraw.com and Yuri from DRN Sports Rap in Perth. Lads, how are we doing? Good, Alex. And yeah, man, it's been an absolutely crazy playoff ride thus far. We've seen for you know, only the sixth time in NBA history, a number eight seed beat a top seed and yeah, it was something about going into that series, especially for, you know, Milwaukee. That was maybe a little bit of a nervous one. And, you know, it did come to reality, sadly. So that was something, you know, no one expected to see. And, of course, the Lakers, the number seven seed, who basically for, I reckon, the first 55 to 60 games, you know, with, you know, the amount of, you know, I say chemistry issues, you could say, early on the season until mm. that big trade, of course, happened, which, you know, the GM Rob Polinka made and swung their season. They had the best record after the All-Star break and have carried on through to the first round of the playoffs. So it's been, yeah, it's been absolutely crazy thus far and just, you know, it just gets better and better. And Tom, how are you doing this week, mate? Yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. Excited to talk about Jimmy Butler. Never, never doubted him or the Heat or anything. So Never doubted. Ready never to go. Doubted. <laughs> no, no, never doubted. Never have an article written up about him being traded or anything. No, never. Well, uh, look, we'll get to that a little later, but there might be a couple articles we could pick, poke around with in the next few weeks about uh, maybe some guys who won't be with their teams next year, including Dylan Brooks. Uh, we'll see what happens there. But look, no uh, no Jack today and no Julian. They've got other commitments, but we're going to do a quick recap of everything that's happened in round one. All of those series bar the Kings and Warriors game have wrapped up with game seven of that one tomorrow. And then we'll head into a preview of the semi excuse me, the semifinals in each conference. So, Yuri, we might start with you um, just really briefly on this Kings vs. Warriors series. At recording, they're tied at 3-3. How have you found the series so far? Oh, it's been one of the best in a long time, I think, Alex, as well. The, you know, the level of you know, high-octane offense that both teams have. And I think going into the series, the big question mark, I think, on the Sacramento side of things is not just, you know, the playoff experience with Harrison Barnes, you know, having the majority of it, considering, you know, during his time with the Golden State Warriors, it was how they're able to, well, at least slow down, you know, some of Golden State's, you know, offensive juggernaut. And they have done that to effect, especially in game six to force a game seven. That was crucial in itself. And considering what happened in game six with DeMarcus Sabonis only playing 23 minutes before mm. fouling out. And they probably have, you know, found another ingredient solution. They did play Alex Len for the entire game. They instead went with Trey Lowell's as their five, who normally plays at the power forward position, and he absolutely delivered when they needed to. And they were able to, you know, get their transition game going yet again, like, unfortunately, you know, times during game five, which didn't happen because Golden State slowed them up. So this series, which we previewed a couple of weeks ago, which was going to go the distance anyway because of Golden State's horrendous road record, it's basically now to the seventh and deciding game, and it's just been, you know, a marvellous series to watch right from game one now to the seventh game when it does come up to, in the early hours of tomorrow morning. Yeah, Tom, if you're anything like me, you've probably watched most of these games minute for minute as well. Has that been the case for you? And how have you found this series? Yeah, unfortunately, I had to miss the second half yesterday, but I did watch the first half. But uh, I, like a lot of people on Twitter, were pretty confident that once that uh, Golden State had that 3-2 lead going home, it was series over. And I think the Kings showed a lot of maturity and just you know, the biggest doubt throughout the whole playoffs was do they have 
the sort of repetitions of playoff basketball to sort of go into someone else's building and win a must-win game. And they show that they can. And game sevens tend to be a rock fight. It tends to be, you know, always tends to hit the unders and, you know, 90 to 95 sort of scoreline. Uh, so I feel like the Warriors' experience might just give them a little bit of an edge here and just so they might know how to get that sort of isolation bucket when it's, you know, tie game, two minutes left. Um, but if the Kings win, I'll, I'll be right behind them and I'll be looking forward to seeing more games in Golden 1 Centre, that's for sure. Yeah, they've been such a joy to watch. Both teams have been the last few years, but the Kings this year in particular have just been so much fun to watch. We've spoken about it all year during our pod. A couple of things to touch on very quickly. The series is ongoing, so I don't want to put a pin in it. Darren Fox is still averaging nearly 30 points a game with that broken finger on his shooting hand, uh, and Steph Curry averaging 31. But the Warriors are shooting less than average from uh, the three-point line. I don't have the stats right in front of me, but both Clay and uh, Steph are shooting in the high 30s and not where they've usually been. So... Um, Look, tomorrow, Game 7 is going to be just an amazing day, and I'm going to sit on my ass on a public holiday and watch every minute if I can. Moving on to the Grizzlies-Lakers series, and boy, is there a lot to talk about with this one. Yuri, we're going to start with you. Um, None of us picked the Lakers. Is that right? We all picked the Grizzlies a couple weeks ago. Yes, we did. And it turns out to be a 4-2 victory towards the Lakers. Talk us through this series and where it went wrong for um, Memphis. Yes, I think when you look at it as a whole, Alex, the in terms of the interior size of you know Memphis not having Stephen Adams and Brandon Clark really hurt them in the end. And I think we thought after you know Game Two when Memphis you know rebounded back with that one hundred three ninety three victory that you know Xavier Tillman was the unheralded star during mm. that game with the twenty two points, thirteen rebounds, and three assists. Maybe you know they did have a solution to try and you know get out and transition a lot more, and you know get him those, you know, open buckets, you know, running towards the rim, which, you know, they did, uh, I think, about six, seven times throughout and really caught the Lakers and Anthony Davis napping, which, you know, AD normally doesn't get caught out in those situations. But after that, they really, you know, turned the tide in terms of, you know, the defense as a whole. Anthony Davis is shot blocking, especially yesterday in that close. Unreal, wasn't it? Yeah. I think he had about five blocks, didn't he? He He did. He finished with five. Yeah, 16 points, 14 rebounds. And he spoke about... After game two, which I wrote a recap on this a week and a half ago, that he had to be better because he missed a lot of those close-up hook shots, which he normally nails 99 times out of 100. And there was something he went to work with. And then the others really stepped up. Jared Vanderbilt yesterday, those, I think he'd pretty sure two or three triples from the same spot. And Memphis right throughout the series just basically decided to, you know, leave him alone from that area. And he made them pay. And I think... When he, he did do a little bit of that at Utah before he came in the Lakers deal. But when it, you know, really mattered most and, you know, Memphis didn't really pay enough attention, he just made them pay and it sort of, you know, really broke their backs. And mm. of course, with D'Angelo Russell, the first four games, his shooting numbers were only around sort of 40 to 42%. And his first shot, the first possession the Lakers had, where he basically, you know, got away from John Morant for his, you know, Patton mid-range jump shot, which he always loves from that left-hand elbow side of the floor. That really got him going. And he just, yeah, got really cooking. And unfortunately, you know, those hustle points that the Lakers got, especially in that first half, really broke the back of Memphis. And those threes went swishing down. He hit, I think, five of nine from the land of three. And mm. they were just basically broken. It was almost reminiscent, right, of, you remember back to the 2011 Western Conference Finals between Dallas and the Lakers? I remember it fondly. Yeah. In that closeout game when Dallas just ran right, Jason Terry was like, 
you know, on NBA Jam, he had about, I think, nine <laughs> three-pointers in that game. And Pedro Stojakovic, I think, was third in the most improved in 2000-2001. I'm pretty sure if that is correct. He went off as well. And I think Memphis hit, sorry, not Memphis, Dallas at the time hit about 23s in that closeout game. And although the On Lakers, their way to the championship that yes, year, for those who it was, don't remember, yes. that was the Mavericks championship yes. run. Yeah. So it was just, you know, it was pretty, you know, remarkable witness what was going down. Of course, LeBron had another solid series as always. And, you know, the contributors came from everywhere. And, you know, Memphis at times, their transition game couldn't get going. And the threes, of course, I think game four, if I'm not mistaken as well, the Monday night game, they just couldn't hear a side of a barn. I think the game three they only scored nine first quarter points overall. The yeah. Lakers had 35 on the board. Yeah, NBA.com gives you some interesting stats for the series after it wraps up. And uh, one of them is that the Memphis Grizzlies basically shot below league average from all over the floor for the series. Meanwhile, the Lakers shot more than 10% better than league average, specifically in the restricted area and most of the paint. And that's probably as a result of Stephen Adams not being there. Um, Tom, what did you pull away from this series? I personally don't think this series will go down as a top 10 series for LeBron James, but I think it's a testament just to how great he is because he was not even close to his best. That foot yeah. was clearly nagging him. Like, but even like an 80% LeBron James is still better than most players in the league. <laughs> uh, and that game four game, I was just sitting there thinking that Memphis had that tied up. Uh, and then LeBron, who had shot horribly all night, just decided that I'm going to be the best player on the floor here. Yeah. Hit that huge shot uh, to send it to overtime. Um, and then he finished with 22 points and 20 rebounds, which I, I'm not sure how many times LeBron's had 20 rebounds in his career, but I, I couldn't never. It wouldn't be that. It was yeah, his first never. time, yeah. Um, first time, yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, they needed him to do that because Davis, he can have these moments, but he's never really been that clutch guy, whereas LeBron always has been. And it shows. And will he continue to do this? Who knows? But I think it's a testament to his greatness. And on the Memphis side of things, they can blame the injuries all they want, but... They weren't competitive in game three. They were, what scored nine points in the first quarter and it was game over. Game six, they, like yesterday, they were not competitive at all. Um, and they blew their chance to win game four. And you can't win a championship, let alone a playoff series, if you're going to be like that. Yeah, they can blame injuries. This is Memphis, but I think they also need to have a look at maturity of this team. They're one of the youngest teams in the league and it's probably a few of those guys need to grow up. Or perhaps in the case of Dylan Brooks, he might not be there next year. I don't want to don't want to poke the bear too much, but do you think Dylan Brooks resigns? He's a free agent coming up. Um, he's had a lot to say. And there seems to be some rumblings from the team as well that no one's really keeping him in check on the coaching staff. He averaged 10 and a half points this series. Do you think Dylan Brooks is there next year? 10 seconds. Uh, I think potentially just as a restricted free agent because I can't really see anyone giving him a big offer sheet. So they mm. might be able to get him on cheap money and a trade-friendly contract and you never know. But don't go poking LeBron when you're not even a top <laughs> 1,000 player in the in the history of the sport. Yeah. Yuri, do you think he's there? Yeah, I'd have to agree as well too with both Tom and yourself, Alex, too. I think, you know, what the – I think the rumours were during, you know – the trade before the trade period was, you know, they were targeting OG Ananobi as, you know, mm. that guy to play the small forward spot. And he, his offense since his rookie year has significantly improved year by year. And he's a guy who can also, you know, play the four spot at times as well. If Memphis, you know, if they did get him in a trade, I that's only a half critical. Yes. And playing Jaron Jackson Jr. at center at times. But again, yeah, I think the minimum, you know, deal probably, you know, give him a lower offer because, you know, they can also give Desmond Bain, I'm pretty sure, you know, a contract extension as well. He's up for it. I can't so remember uh, Desmond Bain's contract situation, but he was the last thing I wanted to poke out. He averaged 23 and a half points this series. Um, I love watching Desmond Bain play for some reason. He's just got an aesthetically pleasing game for the most part. So he's just a point average below Jar Morant. 
um, who did have that hand injury. We might move on to another series. Uh, Tom, the Phoenix Suns beat the uh, Los Angeles Clippers 4-1. Um, Alex and Tom picked the Suns. Yuri unfortunately picked the Clippers this series before Kawhi Leonard was ruled out. Tom, talk to us about this series. Yeah, well, when the series started, I, I picked the score to be 4-1 just because I did believe Kawhi would have that sort of game. That would, uh, <laughs> Thank you, thank you. Uh, I did believe Kawhi would have that game that he could win one by himself, which he, he did in game one. And then game two, he was still pretty good. And then all of a sudden, the news came out about his knee injury. And I think it's really poor by the Clippers to not fully disclose the extent of the injury because it was listed as a day-to-day sort of, oh, maybe he might be back, maybe not. He tore his meniscus, which is not, not really a day-to-day sort of operation. Um, having done my meniscus uh, three times, I can tell you now it's not definitely not day-to-day. <laughs> no, I did not feel bad day-to-day. I don't think I would have been able to go up against Kevin Durant and Devin Booker uh, the day after tearing my meniscus, that's for sure. Um, that's not the first time this has happened. In the 2021 playoffs against the Jazz when he tore his ACL, hmm. it was, oh, look, Kawhi, we're not sure. We'll see where he goes. He, he missed the whole season, so it clearly wasn't uh, he could be back. Um, but from a, from a Clippers perspective, without Kawhi and Paul George, they were always going to struggle. Um, but at least, look, the encouraging sign was they were competitive. And it did, take, it did take Russell Westbrook finding a time machine and going back to 2015, 16. Um, but he looked solid and he resurrected his career. I mean, I think he was probably out of the league about five months ago. Hmm. Uh, and now I'd, you'd have to say the Clippers would probably bring him back on a team-friendly deal. Um, if not, could look for a more competitive team. I mean, Miami could even consider it just as a guard sort of backup situation because Oladipo is probably not going to be playing next year. No. Um, and then from a Suns perspective, I really had doubts about Devin Booker heading into this season, but he's shown that he is he can be the guy. Um, and him average 37.2 points, 6.4 assists, 5 rebounds, and shoot 60% from the field, and also playing really good defense on the other end, which he's not known for. Um is probably the most important takeaway from this series. And when everyone, uh, when the Suns traded for Durant, the idea was Durant was going to be the guy to lead them. But I actually think the Durant trade is probably better for Booker because now all the attention goes to him. Booker gets these open shots and better looks at the rim because why wouldn't you? It's Kevin Durant. Why wouldn't you focus more on him? Um, and it showed he had two games over 45 points and he had uh, one game with 38 points. So if you're going to take anything away, it's Booker can be that guy. He might actually take over from Durant. Yeah, he was the best player on the floor, Eddie. When I watched Devin Booker play in this series, one, I thought, okay, this is a finals MVP candidate if they go because he is playing at that level. But two, it was the spacing he was getting. I think the coach for the Phoenix Suns said it's almost unfair that they've got Kevin Durant out there as a decoy because the ball goes to KD and then just gets moved right back to Devin to Cook. He's so open. Um, the Suns at times did look like they were they struggled to put the Clippers away, and that might just be Norm Powell having the series of his life and um, Westbrook finding that time machine. But it did make me worry about the Suns moving into their second round series, which we'll talk about a little later. Um, Yuri, have you got any comments on this series before we move on to the Nuggets Wolves? Yeah, it's just good to see, you know, the mouth flack that Russell has copped, you know, throughout his career, and especially, you know, in game one. Yes, he only shot three of 19 from the field, but he had so many crucial blocks as well. I'm pretty sure the first quarter he had that block from behind on Kevin Durant, and then that final Phoenix offensive possession when Devin Booker was looking to get to the rim, he blocked his shot and threw it off him, and it was reminiscent of Drew Holiday's game five play against Boston, the Eastern Conference semifinals last postseason. And just those little intangibles that Russ brings. And yes, of course, you know, his jump shot can be iffy at the best of times. And, you know, he normally, his best part, his best spot on the floor, if he is going for the jump shot, is that mid-range bank off the glass. Hmm. But the other 
aspects that he was able to deliver certainly, you know, helped for the Clippers and him guarding Westbrook as well. I think there was a stat that came up after game one with him guarding both Paul Booker and Durant combined for game one. He held him to, I think, only six six points on like six of 25 shooting or something. Yeah, it was something ridiculous like that, yeah. He, it was it was unbelievable, and he's always been a tremendous defender, Alex. Because when he first came into the league all the way back in two thousand eight, he was like a defensive Pac ten defensive player of the year, playing at UCLA. So it's no surprise that you know he's done it for a long period of time. And yes, when they needed him, of course, in game one, he came through. And they're always going to be you know under siege in a way. Sadly, when Kawhi went down with that meniscus injury, but you know they fought hard and they fought like. The, what the Clippers side did back in 2019 against Golden State in the first round, albeit it was a completely different roster. There was no Paul George. There was no Kawhi Leonard at the time. There was, you know, Pat Beverly, Danilo Gallinari, and a few other names which yeah, it wasn't you know, a fun don't series. come to mind. <laughs> no, apart from Pat and, you know, Kevin Durant getting into a one another and Ed Malloy there to separate them mm. and both eject them from the game. So, no, you know, they, they fought hard. But yet again, the injury curse for the last two seasons is, you know, hit them at the wrong time and who knows come this summer there's been you know polls on you know the YouTube channels from different you know YouTube basketballers about you know whether the Clippers do keep both PG and Kawhi whether they trade one of them so a lot of you know deliberations come the summer here's my 10 second piece on Kawhi keep him let him in 20 minutes a game off the bench let him win six man of the year let him be healthy for the playoffs that's just leave him be just let him do his robotic thing but anyway moving on uh the nuggets uh beat the wolves in five games um at the start of the series minnesota didn't look like they were a playoff basketball team they got a bit better towards the end of the series um this i think game four went to overtime and game five was a three-point game so they did improve a little bit um this series is notable for probably one thing only and that's anthony edwards emerging in the playoffs he averaged 31 and a half points five rebounds five assists and became the um the second most 30-point games in the playoffs before the age of 22 he passed kobe bryant and he sits right behind lebron james um, also notable of this series is Jamal Murray. Looks like uh, playoff Murray, Bubble Murray, is back or at least creeping back. He had 27.2 points uh, per game average, but he was shooting a high clip from three at 43%. Um, and in today's game, he's extended that a little bit as well. Um, do you, either of you lads have uh, serious thoughts on the Wolves? Um, I'm not really sure what they do this offseason. Cat looked quiet early. He was a series low um, plus minus. He was a negative 9.2. Um, and look, Rudy Gobert looked okay, but they're kind of doing the same thing out there with that Twin Towers offense. Um, Yuri, quick thoughts on this series? Yeah, I thought, you know, before the regular season did begin, right, Alex, and, you know, the trade for Gobert on July 6th, that, you know, Minnesota would be a 48 to 50 win team when you look at, we looked at that, you know, roster on paper. Unfortunately, of course, Carl Anthony Towers misses, you know, just over three months with that, you know, severe calf strain, mm. which he hurt on November 28 in that in the game against the Washington Wizards. And it really sort of, in a way, sort of hampered, you know, the front court chemistry with him and Gobert and what they were able to, you know, try and, you know, sync together. And it wasn't until basically, what, mid to late March that, you know, Towns came back from the injury and they didn't, you know, have enough time to gel together and sort of those things along the way too. But we saw, you know, the emergence, of course, Jaden McDaniels, Anthony Edwards, you know, when they traded D'Angelo Russell away to the LA Lakers that, you know, He's the next franchise guy now, Alex, to really build around the pieces on. And we saw that during the playoffs, of course, 158 points in the five games combined. And he was sensational. That shootout with him and Jamal Murray, the 41 and 40 points respectively, if I'm not mistaken as well, that was 
that was unbelievable. We've seen so many great, you know, playoff battles between individual players over a long period of time. You know, Vince Carter, Allen Iverson comes to mind in 2001. Jamal Murray, of course, and Donovan Mitchell in the 2020 bubble in that first round playoff series between Utah and Denver. There's been, you know, many, you know, fantastic, you know, individual matchups right throughout the series. And, you know, this one definitely, you know, was one of the, you know, most underrated, of course, you know, although, you know, Denver won the series in five games. And, you know, I thought heading into the series as well, if Minnesota could really, you know, establish dominance in the in the interior with, you know, Carl Anthony Townsend, Rudy Gobert, they could, you know, potentially stretch the series to six games. But yeah, I think they missed Nas Reed a lot in that series with him with his broken hand. Yeah, they missed him a lot. Him and Jaden McDaniels, those two key pillars, and especially Nas Reed being that sixth man off the bench too. Jaden Noel, I'm pretty sure Jalen Noel as well. He was another one, you know, that was another real integral piece off that bench too. And he missed time during the regular season with, you know, assortment of injuries. So again, yeah, it feels like, you know, another sort of lost season away from Minnesota after what they were able to do, you know, last season, reach, you know, make the, you know, get past the playing tournament, get to the first round, really, you know, stretch Memphis to six games. And we thought, you know, they could take, you know, the next leap, be a, you know, top four team in the West. And of course, you know, again, adversity hit them in, you know, all different stages. And again, it wasn't meant to be, you know, they had their chances against Denver. We think, you know, game five when they made, you know, really, you know, fought their way back into the game and Anthony Edwards, you know, he had a good look in a way. They contested him well, Denver. And he thought when did leave his hand that, he just may have thought it might have gone through. And unfortunately, you know, hit the back, you know, the back rim and, you know, bounced, you know, sailed away. And of course, you know, it wasn't meant to be at that time. And again, it just, it's really interesting to see what happens, you know, the off season with, you know, Minnesota and what they do in terms of, you know, I've got no perhaps. idea what they're going yeah, to do. I know this <laughs> is something that's really compelling, Alex, because trying to figure it out in terms of, you know, what they offer to in terms of, you know, who they want to deal away because Rudy Gobert still got, you know, basically another three years, if I'm not mistaken, as well, that five-year, $205 yeah, million it's, deal. it's a lot of money. Tom, I don't know Mark if you've Conley. got thoughts on what they want to do in the offseason or other thoughts from this series because Minnesota is just a very confusing team, clearly to both Yuri and I. What do you think? Yeah, just quickly on the Timberwolves' future, they're handcuffed for this roster for at least another season unless they want to blow everything up and sell at the lowest price. Carl Anthony Towns is at the lowest price of his whole entire career, so trading him would just be a wasted asset at this stage. They don't have any first-round picks to attach to Gobert, so it's not like they can really get off that contract and what they get back would ne- not be as good of a player as Gobert. Um, so they're handicapped in that. And then the fact is Edwards is on a rookie deal and he's about to probably go into his extension, I think, next season, and they've wasted his rookie deal. You can't, you know, when you've got to play at that high caliber on a rookie deal, you want to make the most of it and they waste it. And it's poor management and no one really understands that go bear trade. And maybe in 10 years' time, we'll, we'll get an explanation. But uh, yeah, Tim Bulls are not going to go anywhere for the next at least two years unless they can swing a trade. Tom, I think we might stick with you um, and speak about the Celtics Hawks series. The Celtics taking care of business in six games, 4 2. Um, again, the Celtics are liable to lose strange games every now and then. Do you see that the same way, Tom, or do you feel as this is a success, uh, a success story for Boston? Oh, far from a success story because, one, they needed to get Embiid as quickly as possible and yeah. they blew that uh, game five. And they have a history of this. Uh, they constantly blow away leads. And it's, it's this whole notion that it might be inexperienced coaching, but this has been happening since when Brad Stevens was on the team. Mm. It's, it's constantly, they get up to 20 points and they just put the cue in the rack, go back out to the bench and 
all of a sudden 20 gets down to eight and then eight gets down to four, four gets down to two and then suddenly they're down. Uh, and they need to stop shooting themselves in the foot. They constantly play down to their opposition. Like when mm. Murray was out, so like you would have thought Celtics should handle that at home. Uh, they didn't. Um, the one the one championship aspect that you can kind of take away from this, though, is that when they do shoot themselves in the foot, they have a tendency to bounce back. So last year's playoff run, they absolutely blew game five at home versus the Bucks, and they ended up winning it in seven. They blew game three and game six at home versus the Heat. They won it in seven. And they blew game five against the Hawks at home, but they, they won it in six. And they kind of closed that out comfortably in the end, although they were down three with like three minutes left and it took a couple <laughs> big shots from Horford, Tatum, Brown, and Smart, who was crucified for, rightly so, for yes. playing game five, came out and he made the winning plays. And that's, he has a tendency of doing that. He'll stuff up in one game and next game he'll be one of the most important players. But going forward, they can't afford to do this again. They can't blow games, especially with uh, game one against Philly looking like Embiid might not be Trap playing. game I for Boston. It's a trap game. I, to be honest with you, I'd, I'd, be, uh, I'd be putting a little money on Philly if you're a betting man for that game. Yeah, Yuri, we're running a bit long on time for our first uh, first round post-mortem. Um, any extra thoughts on that series? Yeah, they had to do what they well needed to do anyway, Alex, too. And I did pick the Celtics in six because thinking about Atlanta, there's something about them which they – could, you know, potentially, you know, stretch Boston. And they did, of course, with, you know, Trey Young's heroics in game five when, you know, Atlanta, I think, finished A very game good like game, too. 18. If you didn't see the highlights yes. for that game five, please go watch it because that was a great game to watch. Yeah, when they won like an 18-5 run to close the game and Trey Young, of course, hit that deep three, which I think we thought about when I was watching it at the time, I thought, drive the ball, Trey. You, you know, you, you're an excellent driver to the basket. And instead, well, it was similar to what he did a couple of years ago against the Knicks in game five, pulled up basically from the logo. Yeah, from and, Damian Lillard range. Yeah, this is beyond yeah. Steph Curry range. This is far. And, and the ball just, you know, it. sailed through and, you know, swished it home and, you know, TD, TD Garden went silent and the only, you know, roars they could hear from the Atlanta, you know, the Atlanta bench and a few of their supporters, they were in attendance. So, you know, they did, you know, they fought gameless, right, Alex? And, you know, going into the offseason now, you know, they've had, you know, a bit of time to adjust to, you know, Quinn Snyder's offense because it is a little bit complex in the way that Quinn does, you know, run his offensive sets too. So, again, well, they've, the talent of, you know, the nucleus is there as well. It's just, you know, a matter of just, you know, being, you know, consistent in the way and not being, you know, hovering around 500 one time, hovering below 500 another time and, you know, being three games above 500 and losing three in a row. So yeah. those all those, you know, com- combinations I think are going to, you know, really need addressing too. But they've had, you know, that time to get, you know, accustomed to Quinn's game plan and yet again, you know, they did everything they could but, you know, the ultimate, you know, one-two punch of Tatum and Brown just, you know, proved too much. And those offensive rebounds, especially, you know, late in game six when Marcus Smart hit those, no, sorry, he missed two threes in a row and Boston pounced on a couple of those loose balls and then, of course, hit that three to, you know, almost basically put, you know, break the back of Atlanta and just those little things that, you know, really hurt them down the stretch. I'll touch on the 76ers versus Nets series for about 10 seconds because Philadelphia was just way too classy for the Nets. Um, Brooklyn did have that chance in game three. That was the game Joel Embiid did injure his LCL. He's listed doubtful for this first game in the next series with that LCL sprain. Um, the Nets were within that one but fell apart and you just got the feeling that they probably didn't belong in the postseason after trading away um, their players. Not, I don't know if either of you really want to touch on this one. Next, we just don't know. Uh, Joel Embiid, if he'll be completely healthy, 
for the next uh, for game one of the second round. Um, I don't see anyone really wants to talk about this one because it was boring. So we'll move on. And Bucks Heat is the one everyone wants to talk about. Thank you, Tom. Start us off with uh, Michael. Jo- uh, excuse me, Jimmy Butler and his performances in the Bucks vs Heat series. Yeah, so as a Celtics fan, I was a bit worried about facing Jimmy Butler when they lost to Atlanta. <laughs> I was a bit relieved, but I also kind of, when you look through Celtics Twitter, there's a lot of people going, oh, you know, I think we're just a bit, bit scared, scared from last postseason and, you know, Heat aren't that team and Jimmy isn't capable of doing what he used to be able to do. And, uh, well, we were all wrong. He literally just won them that series off the back of his own offense. Um, and, yeah, I feel like we could probably touch a bit more on him because I feel like he might he might feature in our performances of the week, yep, maybe. Maybe. Um, so we can maybe go into that and we can probably talk a bit more about the Heat in the next for the next series as well. But they have a real path to make the finals here. They, they got the Knicks. Jimmy Butler could could win that one. Then Celtics 76ers, I mean, I, Jimmy Butler's going to be the best player on the floor in either of those series. Think, I think so, from yeah. a playoff standpoint. Unless Embiid um, is completely healthy and they steamroll Boston, which is an unlikely even, scenario. But even, even in that case, I still think Jimmy Butler in the playoffs is okay. just a better player than Embiid, I think. And, you know, you know, you never just, Embiid's healthy. You just, I can't trust that. They are all. well-known friends as well. That'd be an interesting yeah, series. Yeah, that would be an interesting series. Uh, but I think the biggest thing from here is we're now for the Bucks. So in that uh, game five that they lost, Drew Holiday made a three with seven minutes, eight seconds left in the fourth. Milwaukee made two more field goals uh, between the rest of that quarter and overtime which is insane considering you have Giannis, you have Middleton, you have Drew, and you have Brooke. Um, they gave up a 15-point lead in Game 4, a 16-point lead in Game 5, um, and that Game 5 was must-win, do or die, and they really did not show up in that fourth quarter. They sort of just thought, well, we've won it. Let's just rest our guys. Let's get back. We'll just take it easy. And Miami just came back, and Jimmy Butler was on the bench when they started making that run. That mm. was the most concerning thing. Um, and then going towards that end, Jimmy Butler hit that huge shot after the uh, timeout to tie it, send it to overtime. There was 0.5 seconds left on the clock, though. And why Bullenhoser didn't call a timeout, I'm not 100% sure of. It might have cost him his job. Well, exactly. Um, and I mean, I actually you know, remembered a game earlier in the season against the Thunder where it was a similar situation, not much time left on the clock, less than a second. And they drew up a play for Brook Lopez to, um, to set you know, off a screen, go to the rim, and he got fouled, and he made one free throw and sent it into double overtime. So I don't know why you wouldn't try anything like that. I mean, Giannis is a, such a threat at the rim. Brooke Lopez is such a threat at the rim. Or, you know, Chris Middleton's won games with heaves at the buzzer and Drew Holiday's a confident three-point shooter. So I don't really know why they didn't call a timeout. And just an all-round awful series for this Bucks team and especially the coaching staff. And yes, the Giannis injury hurt them, but the depth should have been enough to compete in more than just a, a couple of games. They should have won more than one. I mean, just going through their roster quickly, you go... Point guards, Drew Holiday, two-time All-Star and an all-defensive guard and one of the best defenders in our league. Middleton, three-time All-Star, experienced veteran. And he look, it gets quietly talked about, but he was huge in the finals. It's yeah. not like he's afraid of these you know, bright lights. Lopez, defensive player of the year, runner-up, great three-point shooter, can space the floor. Then you got six-man, Portis, was third in place in six-man votes this year. So, yes, Giannis is the best player in the league. Well, maybe not anymore, but he was at least. Um so losing him is going to hurt. But as a one seed, you kind of have to find other ways to win. And when they won game two, I thought this is how it's going to go. They're going to work this out. But they just didn't. And how many more cracks do they have left with this core? Because Middleton, Holiday, and Lopez are all over 30. And I just, I don't know. They, I feel like they're wasting Giannis's prime because one championship in the last five years for this sort of Giannis-led team is not really good enough. And two conference finals appearances in five years, really, in an East that hasn't exactly been as strong as it is now, you would have thought Giannis would 
be there more often. But yeah, I'm interested to get your guys' thoughts on it all as well. Yuri, I'll throw to you in a second. Um, my personal opinion is coach will be the first to go because the flexibility in the roster is pretty poor. I'm looking at the um, team payroll for next year for the Milwaukee Bucks. Chris Middleton is on a player option, but it's $40 million. So you would think perhaps he'd pick that one up. Drew Holiday and Giannis are still signed. Brooke Lopez is a free agent and he's been critical. So you think maybe they spent some money there. Uh, Bobby Portis already signed. Jay Crowder won't be returning. He didn't play much in the playoffs. Grayson Allen's on a team deal. Joe Ingles is a free agent. They might move around the edges, but they've already got like $156 million committed. Like it's a lot of money and you've got to do some finagling to get um, some extra flexibility. So I think the easiest solution in Milwaukee would be a change of coach. There's some great coaches out at the moment, including Nick Nurse. Let's just drop that one there really quietly. Um, and if you don't remember, uh, coach Mike Woodholzer was in a bit of strife the year um, the Bucks won the championship as well. His job was in question that year until they went all the way. So I wouldn't be surprised if they quote unquote run it back with um, new coaching staff. Yuri, do you see this one the same way? Or if you've got anything else to talk about for Milwaukee? Because we might move into performance of the week right after you. Oh, there was a lot to digest from the series as well, Alex. I had my fears heading into the series playing against Miami, considering, you know, the toughness, the grittiness, the resolve that they've been through, right? Basically, the last couple of months of regular season, I wrote this on my Bucks Heat series takeaway piece, which I put up yesterday on Substack, about, you know, just the concerns, you know, going in, into it. Because the last couple of months for Miami, they're all basically fighting tooth and nail for, you know, playing seeding. They could have easily got the sixth spot as well. And who knows what might have happened in that first round series against Philly. That's only, again, a hypothetical in itself. Mm. But going into it as well, if you know, Jimmy Butler's, you know, playoff record, especially since the bubble, you know, that was incredible what he did to lead, you know, you know, Miami into that final series alone, basically off his own back, like what Alan Iverson did in 2001. And again, he did, you know, this series. And after what happened, you know, a couple of years ago when we absolutely smothered him, holding him to just 14 and a half points on like 29% shooting, I think it was from the field overall in that, you know, clean sweep. So there was other parts as well, I think, Alex, that need to be addressed upon was, you know, the stagnant offense, mm. especially in the fourth quarter where it just got really just ISO ball and it's not the way to go come the playoffs because teams are easily going to, you know, go zone at the best of times, say a 3-2 zone or 2-2-1 zone, or they'll pack a particular part of the lane so you can't drive to the rim. And those are the issues I think Milwaukee had too because at the best of times when Brooke Lopez was absolutely on the roll, Alex, and then they stopped going to him on, you know, majority of their possessions. It was like, why defer away from that Mm. when Brooke was absolutely in the flow of the offense? And that's where, you know, a lot of the problems lay. They took, you know, very questionable shots you know, during the fourth quarter when Miami made those rallies in games four and five. And, you know, it really swung, you know, the entire outcome. And they just couldn't seem to, you know, eradicate it. And at times when they should have, you know, called timeouts when Miami went on, you know, eight o runs and those little, you know, mini spots right here and there is something that really sort of, you know, came back to haunt the Bucks. And it's just, you almost leave the pond to your head and think if we have, if they have made those adjustments, might have coaching you know, it's been a difference yes yeah it does but, feel like it's come down to i mean all credit to eric spolster as well he outcoached the hell out of uh the bucks there's uh, a quite a lot of pieces floating around the internet about the adjustments he made with them at a bio as well to draw brooke lopez out you find jimmy butler cutting underneath the hoop um look this is a really good point to move on to our performance of the week so um if you can't tell already we're big fans of what happened <laughs> in a couple of these games this week jimmy Butler averaged 37.6 uh, points for the series shooting 60%, like an incredible amount. 
Um, and for my performance of the week, it was that 56-point game performance in game four. It was the fourth highest playoff performance of all time, tied um, there. He had 22 points in the first quarter, including 20 in a row in one stretch. And then he had 21 in the fourth just to take it home. And th- this offense was all him. Um, he was exhausted. He was jubilant. He was ecstatic. He was a killer. He was shooting heat check threes. Like he'd come off the screen, uh, put a three up and makes it. Next possession, deep behind the line. Man, maybe I'm hot. I'll put this one up and sinks it. Like Jimmy Butler was Michael Jordan for a game there. That was my performance of the week. And I'm sorry to steal that one. Tom, I think you might also have a Jimmy Butler game for your performance of the week. Yes. Well, after uh, game four, you were uh, quick to call dibs on that uh, performance <laughs> of Butler. And I was kind of thinking, damn, now I don't know what to pick. And then uh, a couple of days later, Jimmy Butler just did it for me again. And uh, yeah, his game five performance against the Bucks 42 points, eight rebounds, four assists, that beautiful game tying shot. Uh, to send it into overtime, whether he pushed off or not, who knows? But yeah, good for the drama, good for the plot. So let's <laughs> let him let's send it to overtime. Um, and you know the team, the team needs to have some credit though. They did set him up well. He was on the bench with eight minutes left, came in and closed. And I think it really is so hard to be that NBA player who just goes, "I'm going to come in and I'm going to win this game just by, off my own hands, basically." And he does it every playoffs. And to do that on the Bucks' home floor to outplay one of the best players of the last decade, and then to also just trash talk the whole entire Bucks team. <laughs> uh, especially going up to holiday, pointing up at the scoreboard going, I've got 40 points on your head is just ridiculous. <laughs> and the confidence of the man is just nuts. But to go up and back it up, you know, you know, Dylan Brooks can talk all he wants, but he didn't do a single thing on the court, whereas Jimmy Butler does both. And he just, you can't, you can't hate him for it. Yeah, and he gets to the post-game interviews with um, Malika Andrews or whoever was on the sideline. And she's like, hey, what have you got to talk about? And he's like, it's just my team. My team needed it today. If they need me to pass the ball, I'll pass. What are you going to do tomorrow to recover? Going to go home with my daughter and have some ice cream? Like, it's, just, <laughs> it's just cold, man. When it's game time, he's a dangerous bloke. And Yuri, we stole the two best performances of the week, I think. But no, that's yours? all right. Yeah, we mentioned it earlier in the show too, Alex. And D'Angelo Russell's, you know, career playoff high 31 points to, you know, break the back of the Memphis Grizzlies. And, of course, the Lakers need him when, you know, of course, LeBron and AD were having, you know, fantastic games. Jared Vanderbilt with, you know, those three triples that he made from the corners and, you know, the sort of different contributions that the Lakers got, but his contributions were icy on the cake too, especially, you know, from that first offensive possession, which he got that jumper going, then the floater and then, you know, the threes that he was swishing down because he is a pretty reliable three-point shooter in a way. He is. People forget he, that, but he yeah. is a quite a reliable shooter. I mean, he invented he, the I've got yeah. ice in my veins celebration. Oh, was it after that game when he was playing for the Lakers against the Nets A long time ago, yeah. In 2016-17, if I'm not mistaken. Team. Yeah, where he scored 39 points, I'm pretty sure, and he did that gesture. So, yeah, it seems like a long time back then, but, you know, his performance, you know, got the, you know, set the tone early and, you know, from there, just Memphis's transition, you know, bogged down. They couldn't, you know, hit a jump shot, you know, jump themselves, you know, back to safety. And, oh, too, too many things, you know, that, you know, the Memphis, Memphis Grizzlies really crumbled under. But yet again, Delos was, you know, the performance that, you know, just pushed the Lakers past the line. And, you know, it's one of those runs yet again we haven't seen, well, for the first time in league history, our seventh and eighth seed have, you know, won their respective matchups. So, again, he was the one that set the tone and, you know, the Lakers now onto the Western Conference semis. And again, it should be, you know, riveting. Whoever they play between Sacramento and Golden State, because they, I'm pretty sure they, they beat Golden State in the series, season series matchup. They won three or four meetings. And the, I'm pretty sure the Kings won, I'm pretty sure, the season series, because that ended early. That ended like 
I think mid-January. So that's a lovely yeah, segue into our round two preview, Yuri. Uh, look, we can't yep. talk too much about that uh, Lakers series because we don't know the opponent yet. Um, hopefully, we get a really good game seven tomorrow, uh, and hopefully, I think for Sacramento fans, they'll pull through because that Golden One Center will be rocking. Especially having to face the Lakers, everybody knows what happens in the, either two thousand two, two thousand three. I can't quite remember where the Kings were robbed. I'll say it on a podcast: they were <laughs> robbed by the NBA. Investigate. <laughs> Uh, look, I won't touch on that much more because we don't know the outcome, but um, let's move on to the second round series between the Suns and Nuggets. We got game one of that one today. Um, the Nuggets pulling that one out by quite a large margin in the end. Um, for my mind, this would be a really offensive base series. Obviously, the Nuggets flow through Nikola Jokic. They've got Michael Porter Jr. He can get hot and Jamal Murray, who's kind of returned to form. Uh, he struggled earlier in the season, averaged 27 in that first round series against the Wolves. But there's also a lot of really great players this series, and I can't really pick a winner or see the dimensions of the series because there's so much talent on the floor. Like, you've got Kevin Durant, who's been playing as the second-best player on that team. Like, Devin Booker is just incredible at the moment. Uh, Jokic is a two-time MVP, and Jamal Murray, bubble playoff Murray, we know the damage he can do. There's four legitimate players who could be the best in the series. Um, Jokic is probably liable to destroy the Suns inside as well. They don't have anyone to really stand up to him. Bismack Biombo got like six minutes today to try and stop him. But I think Jokic ended with 19 rebounds inside. I don't know, Tom, if you want to give a prediction uh, straight up of this series or just say we're going to have a lot of high scoring games because this series, I really, if, I, if you pushed me to it, I would say the Suns probably haven't had enough time to gel and maybe the Nuggets in seven. I'll leave that as my prediction, but that's a really difficult one for me. Yeah, it, it's going to be a tough one to call because this Suns team clearly just isn't gelled together. They're not quite sure on the rotations. But I don't know. I feel like over a couple more games, they might get that continuity. They just need to steal one game on the road potentially. Um, but I said this at the start when they've lost the Clippers a couple of weeks ago. They need to shoot more threes. Right? Like That's how NBA basketball is played these days. And they were seven from 23 from three. And to only take 23 attempts from three-point line and these, you know, these sort of games is not enough. Um, and they, live, they need to leave less in the mid-range because you don't get to the free-throw line from the mid-range because why would you try and foul a, a low-percentage shot? Um, and yes, Durant and Booker have built careers in the mid-range, but you don't win playoff series really these days by hitting shots in the mid-range. Um, and so, look, I'm going to go with Suns in seven and just kind of think that uh, Booker and Durant are going to kind of just work this sort of one-two combo out. Um, and, you know, Surely they're just going to be pointing at the stat sheet and tell Aiden he's got to rebound the ball more than seven times, especially when especially when Jokic is getting nineteen boards. So I, I hope the coaches can adjust to it, and uh, we'll see how my prediction goes. It's probably worth noting before we throw to you, Yuri, that um, game one earlier today, Jamal Murray had thirty-four on twenty-one shots, including sixty percent from deep on ten attempts. So um, that did happen today. We're not Nostradamusing this one too much, but Yuri, your thoughts on this series? Yeah, just seeing what happened today in game one, I was able to watch the entire, you know game one between the two teams and Denver's offense, you know, it's, it always starts with, you know, Jokic and Murray, that pick and roll, they can, you know, switch it vice versa. And at times, you know, they had those backdoor cuts with Jokic, you know, at the top of the arc and Murray cut into the rim, which they did, I think, on a couple of occasions too. And then when Jokic went to the bench, and this was pivotal, Alex, in the second quarter, when he was sitting, the Nuggets, you know, second unit and led by Aaron Gordon, who ended up playing at the far mm. spot, outscored Phoenix, because if that didn't happen right and Phoenix, you know, has a lead going into the break, then, you know, it could have been, you know, a different outcome in itself. But that really helped. And especially when, you know, Phoenix made that run again in the fourth quarter. And then, of course, 
the amount of deflections and steals that they had, Alex. Bruce Brown had a couple of you know fantastic steals, which led to you know a couple of easy you know dunks at the other end, and those are the the you know parts that really sort of you know again broke the back of the Phoenix Suns and the altitude as well, Alex. I don't think many, unless you're an absolutely deep NBA enthusiast, would know that playing in Denver, it's hard, man. The altitude absolutely takes a lot out of you running up and down the floor and that's what the Nuggets team back in 2012-13 under George Carl really thrived on was on quick transition and yes of course this Denver team doesn't run a hell of a lot under coach Mark Malone but when they do get those deflections and steals in transition they are awfully hard to beat and we saw that in the final basically four or five minutes of the game and you know basically the Phoenix Suns raised the white flag and Aaron Gordon's contributions too Alex, he did, you know, a solid job on Durant. Durant got, you know, firing early. I think about four of his five shots from the field and there was including that turnaround fadeaway jumper from the baseline. And we thought, oh, here we go. Durant's up for, you know, a 40, 45-point night. And then they were able to, you know, at least slow him down a fair bit, even though, you know, KD took, I think, about close to 20 field goal attempts for the game. But those other, you know, parts for, you know, Denver's, you know, Offense and, you know, defensive machine really, you know, got clicking too because the defense is always going to be something which, yes, they are, you know, they've had, you know, their issues from time to time. But once they do get really sinking on the defensive end, man, they can really go places. And, you know, there's something deep down, I think, a soft spot with Denver probably for, I know, probably since that 2017-18 season, Alex, as well, that, you know, they've built they've built a roster around Nikola Jokic. You know, they've had guys along the way, you know, of course, Jamal Murray. Gary Harris was another one who's no longer there, but he was another integral piece. You know, their number one key defensive stopper. They had, of course, Wilson Chandler, Paul Millsap, who basically was the real heart and soul of that Denver team for, I think, three seasons, if I'm not mistaken, as well, signed that three-year $90 million deal all the way back in the summer of 2017 and, you know, had a major say on Nikola Jokic's, you know, rise as well as, you know, arguably the best centre in the league, you know, as it speaks. So there's so many, you know, facets for why Denver, since, you know, that season to where they are now is, you know, why not? Why can't they, you know, bring home, you know, the franchise's first ever championship? Because the bench they've had since, you know, 2018-19, has been, you know, sold as well. They've had, you know, a great mix of guys, even though, you know, some guys are no longer there. So, yeah, the pieces are, you know, gelling along nicely. And, you know, you never see Coach Malone get, you know, angry, cranky. Yeah, you might see from time to time the referees and completely lose it all together. But when when they need it most, Alex, he's super encouraging. And I think we saw that, you know, the first round series last year against Golden State. They were undermanned. They had no Murray. They had no Porter Jr. They completely fought their backsides off. DeMarcus Cousins, you know, had those, you know, mm. solid outings too where he really, you know, chipped in. And I think Jermichael Green have, you know, chipped in as well. So, again, that was last postseason. That's, you know, distant memory in itself. All I hear is but, you're picking the Nuggets and I want to know how many I am. games. <laughs> yeah, I, am. This is I am. A really good indictment of the Nuggets' yes. confidence from so, you. I've got them in seven. Okay, Nuggets in seven. So we all agree it's going to seven. Um, You'll be able to find all our picks, including that of Jack and Julian on our Instagram page. What a plug, Alex. It's at Mojo Sports Network or Mojo State site. All right, moving on to the Knicks first heat. Um, Look, this, what a rock fight this is going to be. Um, I don't think either of us probably picked these teams to make the second round. Julius Randle um, has an ankle sprain. He missed the remainder of that game six, I think, against the Cavs. 
Um, he's on uncertain status. Unless I've seen something come out today, I don't think they've said what his status is. That was the same ankle he had injured prior to the first round. As we talked about, Jimmy Butler comes into the series um, repossessed as Michael Jordan, 37 and a half points last series. Excuse me. And Caleb Martin was a big emergence for Heat as well. Uh, I don't know if, uh, Tom or Yuri, you want to talk about, we'll start with Yuri, Kevin Love, and whether he might play a really big role in this series. Um, or if we'll talk about the three-point shooting for the Heat as well. So, Yuri, let's go with you first. How do you see this series shaking out? Man, it's like a flashback to the 1990s all over again. Isn't it? Isn't it, yeah. isn't it Alex? Yes, the Pat Riley tongs and, Yes, Pat Riley, Jeff Van Gundy, and, yeah, just hammer and tongs, and hopefully we don't see another, you know, Alonzo Mourning, Larry Johnson incident in 1998. Remember that? When they two got into a fist fight and... Jeff Van Gundy quickly scurried onto the court and grabbed Alonzo by the leg. <laughs> oh, that was unbelievable what, what happened back then. And, you know, 99 to Alan Houston's, you know, game-winning shot in game five of the final possession, which the ball bounced a couple of times before falling in. So there's so many, you know, intriguing subplots, you know, to this series as well. The season series, I think, really gave, you know, a fair, you know, observation for, you know, what was to come. I think it was... The next one, that's... Yeah, please remind me. I don't know sure. what happened in the season series. Yeah, so they took three or four. Julius Randle hit that wild three-pointer with like 0.3 seconds left. It was a mm, pretty scrambly Knicks offensive possession. And he just let it fly from the right-hand side, the right wing for three and, you know, got it to go. And it was, it was pretty frantic what happened, you know, that game. So I think, you know, Randle's ankle injury, you know, hopefully, you know, he does go for, you know, game one starting tomorrow afternoon at MSG and... Tibbs has, you know, labelled him as their, you know, their workhorse, basically. You know, the guy that, you know, does a lot of the heavy lifting. And the other part as well, I think, is the rebounding count, Alex, as well. And this is where Mitch Robinson comes into play. He mm. was a man possessed on the boards. He looked like Ben Wallace, Deadman, Dennis Rodman, reincarnation. He was incredible class, for the Knicks, yeah. Yep. And he just completely bullied both, you know, Jared Allen and Evan Mobley in that first round series. And, Miami aren't, you know, the strongest rebounding team in itself. And, you know, Bam's a very good rebound. The average about, I think it was 9.4 rebounds during the regular season. So they're going to need all hands on deck, Alex, because they've gone, you know, small in the way too. Kevin Love doesn't play a lot of minutes like he used to, you know, Minnesota and Cleveland, you know, the 30 to 35-minute range. So what, you know, Coach Spolstra does in terms of, you know, playing him those minutes, well, I guess that's for, you know, the Heat coaching staff to, you know, figure out as the series goes along too. And, you know, the Knicks do have the option of, you know, playing Obi Toppin alongside Mitch Robinson, mm. Mitch Robinson too, because, you know, Obi's basically, you know, transformed himself from just more than a high-flying dunker. He's the guy that can now stretch the floor and really cause problems. And the, the other one too is Quinton Grimes and him returning from that shoulder injury, which I think he heard in game three as well. Josh Hart, you know, seamlessly filled in for him at the small forward spot and, you know, really did a fantastic job on Donovan Mitchell and, you know, Darius Garland had an all right series for the Cavs. So those elements too, which they really, you know, restricted Cleveland in terms of holding to under 100 points, I'm pretty sure, for the last three meetings. That's going to be something, yeah. It kind of sounds like you're picking the Knicks based off a defensive effort, if I got that right. Because I'm I'm picking the Heat in seven because I think this is a rock fight. So you're picking the Knicks in how many, Yuri? I've got the Knicks in seven for mine, Alex. It's just going to be absolutely horses for courses. And, both teams are, both teams play, you know, at a slowish pace. Of course, the Knicks were, again, bottom two. But at times, they do want to go out quickly. Of course, if Emmanuel quickly, no pun intended, has the ball in his hands in the open court, they will go, you know, helter-skelter. Mm. And Miami likes to, you know, again, slow the, you know, the tempo over down and, you know, get the ball into Jimmy's hands or, 
you know, the times that he gets to bam when, you know, when he can be really assertive, which, you know, he can be when he gets absolutely rolling, which we saw during this, you know, regular season, you know. So, again, yeah, those little, you know, combinations, I think, are going to be, you know, really significant in itself. And whether, you know, again, Julius Randle, you know, gets up for game one, again, that's the question mark. It's funny for me because I think the Heat are probably the worst team in the series but I can never count against Jimmy Butler ever again after like last series. I've said it on my own podcast. I can just never bet against him ever again. Tom, how have you got this series shaking out? Yeah, just really quickly. I'm going to go with my prediction is Nixon seven. I just think that the Knicks depth versus the Heat's lack of depth may decide this series. Um, Hero and Oladipo probably, well, Oladipo definitely won't be back. Hero, <laughs> unlikely. Um, and they already sort of lack that guard, sort of playmaking guard depth. I mean, Carl Lowry, is he going to be able to do it like for a whole another series? I'm not sure. That being said, in that last Bucks game, they looked like they were about to have to play Haslam with the amount of fouling out they had. They, they <laughs> it was a real concern. Yeah. He got a oh, technical on the bench too. It was great. Yeah, <laughs> so um, it will be it will be interesting to see how their depth will handle this. And I, I'm not sure Jimmy can uh, can keep doing this at a high level for a whole series. But that being said, the best matchup in this series, in my opinion, is going to be Jimmy Butler taking on New York City. <laughs> Because he's gonna be he's gonna be a villain. Like they made Trey Young seem like you know the Joker of villains in the in, uh, in the NBA. So Jimmy Butler, who's not even gonna be afraid to trash talk this city, will be having that place rocking. And I just I can't wait for those Nick fan reaction videos at the end, especially if they drop a home game. It will just be a plus YouTube uh, for us all. I can't believe I'm on a podcast with two non-believers. I should shun the both of you. Jimmy Butler's <laughs> taking this one to seven, lads. I'm a believer now. It's Michael Jordan reincarnate. Tom, very quickly, we'll stick with you for the 76ers versus the Boston Celtics series. As we said at the top, Joel Embiid is listed as doubtful, I think, is the status for game one with that LCL sprain. Uh, it's a, a nagging injury that two to six weeks, depending on the severity. They've said it's more than a grade one sprain. So a grade two sprain is typically somewhere in that two to four week recovery period. We head into the series. Boston has both the top three offensive in defensive rating for the series. Um, but as we've talked about, they can kind of play with their food a bit and they're liable to play down to their opponent. Tom, you're our Celtics expert. I, I, I feel like you're a Celtics expert. All you want to talk about is how great the Celtics are. Have you got the Celtics this series? Yeah, so look, the Celtics have a history of beating the 76ers in the playoffs. Like 2018, no Hayward, no Kyrie, no problem. Uh, 2020 in the bubble, uh, different circumstances, but they swept the Sixers in four and it was never really in any doubt. Um, Embiid's health issues are going to be a serious problem because not only does Boston have players to take him out of the game, but they're Al also uh, Al Horford, Rob Williams, Grant, even Grant Williams, who was hardly touching the floor in the Hawks series, will be an integral part Uh to this series, you'd think. But if Embiid can't go at least 43 minutes, they're going to struggle to get their, their offensive points on the board. Um, but that being said, like Boston has a history of just playing down to their opponents, and this could actually throw them off, surprisingly. Um, and, you know, the whole game plan is going to be around Embiid. So if Embiid's not there, uh, uh, what will they do? How will they adjust? It's going to be sort of up to James Harden, which, you know, as a Celtics fan, it's, it's sort of underrated, but we actually have really struggled against James Harden for ever since. I don't know if you guys remember, but that Marcus Smart, whether it was a flop, not a flop, sort of game where he won it uh, with those two offensive calls against Harden. Uh, ever since then, Harden has just been lights out for, uh, against us. And it's, it's like he has had a vendetta 
Um, that being said, he is a playoff choker. Uh, this great and he's injured at the moment. It's been a bit. I'll yeah. go back to your tweet. He is playing with um, something in his lower leg. Whether it's an Achilles flare up, it's really been struggling for the last three weeks of the series. Uh, excuse me, the season and into the playoffs, he is dealing with that lower leg issue. Exactly, and that was the gamble when they brought these two guys together with Embiid and Harden. Is their health hasn't exactly been great. And um, this great tweet by Zach Cram from the Ringer after uh, that Brooklyn game four was. By going four from 18 from the field, James Harden recorded his 15th career playoff game, shooting 25% or worse. Um, and that breaks the tie for most such games in the history of NBA or a- ABA since the merger, which is just insane to think because James Harden's an MVP and like, he's someone who is quite coveted in our league. But look, we'll see. I think Maxi is going to actually be the most important player for the Sixers, that sort of quick transition play. Mm. Uh, Celtics tend to struggle against it. Look at Trey Young once he sort of got going. Even Derek White, was, who's a great defender, didn't really do much against him. Smart did lock him up in that second half of game six, but still. Uh, but look, my prediction, it's a bit up in the air because of Embiid's status. But if Embiid plays three or more games, I'm going Celtics in six. If Embiid plays less than three games, I'm going Celtics in five. I'll put you in as Celtics five and a half, so just you can split the difference. I've got Celtics and six. I don't want to talk about this series any further. Yuri, I'll give you 15 seconds. It's a tight 15 because we're running over time. Talk to us about your prediction and the key to the series. So I think one key I think as well, Alex, is that Brooklyn double-teamed MB a lot of the time, and I don't see Boston double-teaming at all. They'll play, you know, Horford or Robert Williams or Grant Williams, you know, straight up one-on-one post-up in the low block and, you know, see if, you know, they can defend him from there. And also the switchability. Boston likes to, you know, switch a lot too. And that's the other thing where, you know, if they have a bigger guy, you know, guarding James Harden, you know, whether, of course, be Marcus Smart, you know, Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown gets the assignment on him mm. because all three, you know, exceptional defenders, especially Marcus Smart. And Jalen Brown's, you know, highly underrated on the defensive end. Just those different, you know, switching combinations that Boston has can really throw Harden, you know, off his game too. And they need, you know, production from Tobias Harris. That's the other part where if Philly can get production from him, then that's a bonus, you know. It is just a bonus because you can't count on him anymore. So So I'm hearing Celtics from you, Yuri. I'm hearing Celtics. Celtics in six for mine, Alex. Okay, so we've all got Celtics in six, but Tom's splitting the difference just to hedge his bets a bit. Uh, look, very quickly on this LA Lakers versus somebody series. Uh, the key for this series is going to be the health of Anthony Davis and LeBron James. They're both, you know, LeBron James, 38 years old, 20 years in the league. Anthony Davis does seem to pick up ticky-tack fouls uh, and injuries. Excuse me. An interesting stat that I've picked up uh, post the All-Star break is the LA Lakers lead the league in holding their opposition three-point percentage, the lowest in the league since the All-Star break. And the Sacramento Kings and the Golden State Warriors, both teams that shoot a large amount of threes, um, I'm not sure if we want to predict who comes into the series, but Tom or Yuri, do you think the Lakers will make it past the second round? have a feeling, yes. I just, again, this momentum tidal wave that they've created since, you know, the all-star break with the best record, I think it was 18 and 9, and to see what they did against Memphis and completely packed them down and, you know, slowed them down in transition. And, of course, Memphis, where they, you know, they're their own worst enemy in terms of, you know, completely being horrible from downtown and, you know, jump shots wouldn't fall. And they've those, again, we spoke about it numerous times. Those trades have really helped them out defensively and mm. having that versatility to, you know, switch. Because the other thing as well, Alex, and, I might just touch on this right now. Jared Vanderbilt, I'm pretty sure from, I think it was games two to seven. Oh, no, sorry, not two to seven, two to six. <laughs> he was guarding Jar Morant. So if Sacramento gets through, 
he'll be guarding De'Aaron Fox or if Golden State wins, he'll be guarding Curry because of his length and he can cover, you know, the floor, you know, so easily and, you know, get those deflections and steals. So that's another thing. Whoever, you know, gets through, they're going to have to contend with him because they want to make sure that they're not exposing D'Lo on either, you know, De'Aaron Fox or Curry if one of those, you know, either Sacramento Golden State advances through to the other Western Conference semifinal series. Tom, your thoughts? Yeah, just quickly, I think the Lakers will probably be outshot uh, by the three-pointers by either team, uh, especially if it is the Warriors, which could be a genuine concern. Uh, but also, either one, either team, whether it's Kings or Warriors, this is the time for Anthony Davis to pull his finger out and put a mark in the playoffs and go, this is my time. Because Kevon Looney, Draymond Green, like, yeah, but they're not as big as Davis. Like, Davis should be a bit more intimidating in the post. And Sabonis, not a notable defender. So mm. when we saw what Looney did to him a couple of weeks ago, you'd think... Davis should be going, this is my time to shine. LeBron, rest up that foot. I'm going to go here. Um, but look, just for a quick prediction, if, the, if it's the Warriors, I'm picking them in six over the Lakers. If it's the Kings, I'm going Lakers in seven. Wow. I think I'm with you on that one, Tom. I really want the Kings to get through because they're a joy to watch. All right. We're going to throw really quickly to Alex's secret segment. Uh, if you're new to the show, I provide a segment every week where I don't talk to our guests and our panelists about it. And we have to fly off the top or just guess. Now, this week... Alex's secret segment is based on Jimmy Gets Buckets. He had that 56-point performance. I've got a list in front of me of the last, mm, let's say, 13, 14, 50-point games in the NBA playoffs. I might cut it in 2018. So we've got the last five years. And Yuri and Tom, I want to see how many of these performances you can get in the last five years. So these are 50-point games in the NBA playoffs. Uh, Yuri's got a question. Oh, no. I was just... Oh, you ready to go? Yeah, answer, yes. Yeah, so, you really go first. We've got obviously Jimmy Butler this week. Come on. Yes. Donovan Mitchell, 57 points in the bubble in 2020. Against Denver, that's correct. Yep. Jamal Murray, 50, in also in the bubble. Yeah. Now, I should point out both Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray have had multiple 50-point games. So let's let's count them as we've got both of those. So Jamal Murray scored 50 twice, uh, and Donovan Mitchell had another 51-point game. Tom's ready to go. Yeah, uh, well, Tatum had 50 against that uh, Brooklyn, KD, Kyrie, Harden trio. To, in 2021, uh, that's correct. Yeah, to avoid the sweep. And then obviously Giannis's famous one in the finals. Yep. Uh, game six. Um, I feel like, does Davis had a 50 for Pelicans or is that? Uh, it's not on my list, so it might be prior to 2017 if he does have one. And um, uh, no, uh, Curry, Curry got a 50? Not on my list. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll give you a couple of the older ones. So I said 2018, which is five years. But prior to that is LeBron James, um, Cleveland against Golden State. That was that 51-point game uh, in the NBA Finals. We had the Isaiah Thomas 53-point game against Washington. Tom, you should be uh, very familiar with that one. And Russell Westbrook scoring 51 in the Houston at, um, excuse me, OKC at Houston game in 2017. So in the last five years, we are missing one two players and they're both key NBA players over the last five years. Durant. Durant, 50 points at the Clippers in 2019 while playing for Golden State. So we're missing one player. I'll tell you the opponent and I'll tell you the year and you can see if you can guess it. So this happened on the 1st of June, which might give you an indication. Oh, yeah. No, I got it. It's LeBron in the finals, isn't it? No, we said that one. 51 points. Yeah, we said that one. (laughs) It's not. Oh. I hope first of June thought final straight away. <laughs> so this game is the first of June, twenty twenty one. It was a fifty five point performance against Denver. 
in 52 minutes. So this game, Damian Lillard. It is Damian Lillard. It was Dame time in Denver in that massive performance. So you did pretty well. There was a couple. I think um, Damian Lillard's on that list twice. So he's a game against OKC and a game against Denver. So well done. All right, moving on very quickly to end today's podcast. We're running over time with our Mojo ratings. But the NBA recap show on the Mojo Sports Network, so we like to throw this segment in to, to give a guess about how each team might be feeling. You know, what's their Mojo feeling like? Yuri, I think you've got the Lakers. What's their Mojo feeling at the moment? I actually had on my, you know, run sheet, Alex, I had the Knicks. Oh, you've got I, the, I Knicks. the Knicks. Nine well, out of ten. You can pick the Knicks. <laughs> no, that's all right. Got the Knicks nine out of ten. Just you know to see what they are able to do against the Cleveland Cavaliers defensively, and that's always been you know the strong suit of Tibbs. You know, basically staying up all night studying film and you know devising a game plan and what they're able to do against Donovan Mitchell. They held him to twenty three point two points. So it was about five points below season average on just. 43, I'm pretty sure 43% from the field, and he only shot 28% from three. So they did an absolute tremendous job shutting him down. And I had before the start of the series picking the Knicks in six. So they emphatically, you know, squashed all of that to win in five games, and especially in Cleveland as well, where, you know, it's, you know, pretty hard to, you know, win games, you know, let alone the postseason, but also in the regular season. And to, you know, see what they're able to do, you know, utilizing the bench a lot more too, which, you know, over Tibbs' you know, coaching career has never you know, been one of his strongest suits. He always you know, relies upon the veterans, but he's you know, instilled more confidence in the younger players to you know, play you know, 20 to 22 minutes and you know, give them solid production. So that's going to be really you know, a key component in this Miami series because the Heat also have you know, off their bench too. Caleb, Ma- Caleb Martin you know, played a real integral role in game four. I think all 12 of his points, I'm pretty sure, came in that final term or in the second half. So... Those little, you know, bits and pieces where both teams, you know, have, you know, real, you know, key component players who can, you know, really, you know, make a difference on the Knicks side, then, you know, they should, you know, be chock-a-block full of confidence like they were back in 99. Tom, Yuri's got the Knicks at 9 out of 10. I have a sinking suspicion you might be at the other end of the scale for another team. Who have you got for your mojo rating? Yes, I've gone for Memphis, and they are just a flat-out zero out of ten. <laughs> uh, so much for Ja Morant being fine in the West, uh, not even making it out of the first round or even making it to a game seven. Uh, and look, yes, they were, the Lakers aren't a typical seven seed, but still, like, you've got to be more competitive. Uh, and look, Jar injury, yes, but they actually won the game he missed. Mm. Um, and Which look, adds credence to the Ewing theory, Bill Simmons' famous Ewing yes, theory. That, exactly. Um, Get the, the teams the, are the better without start. Yes, yeah. and then, uh, look, this is just, I think the most disappointing thing is this is such a wasted chance for Memphis because the West was wide open and Jar and Bain were still on rookie deals. And now uh, Jar goes on to that max extension next year. Bain's got one more year on, I think it's about three mil on his uh, contract. Mm-hmm. But you've got to utilize these guys. Like I said earlier at the top of the show, you've got to utilize them and build, get some guys who overpay for some free agents to get you know a better team. And you know, Dylan Brooks, we can't really keep going on about him because I think it's just, what's the point of talking about him? But he's just average all round and whether they bring him back as a restricted free agent, we'll see. But, you know, he's an idiot. That's all you can say really based <laughs> off this, uh, based off his press conferences. I'll split the Lack difference. Press conferences. Yeah, exactly. Ducking the media. Come on, man. You've got to be better than that. Uh, I'll split the difference. The Philadelphia 76ers, I've got them feeling five out of 10. They head into a second round series against the Celtics, who they've historically struggled against. Uh, the MVP, who will be the MVP? Come on, it'd be a shock if it's Giannis or Jokic. Um, is missing time, probably going to miss game one, as per Sham Sharani's reporting. 
the decline in Harden's abilities and his Achilles injury. I think it's an Achilles we've spoken about, and they're stuck with Tobias Harris's contract. Uh, five out of ten heading into the series. I don't think they feel good at all. Uh, Lads, thanks for joining me for another uh, a full hour talking about the week that was in the NBA. As always, I can't wait to do it again next week. Uh, and hopefully tomorrow's Game 7 is an absolute banger. So if you're listening to this and it's early in the morning, get onto that Game 7 game between the Golden State Warriors and the Sacramento Kings. Uh, Tom, have you got an article coming out this week for the Raw.com? Uh, I might see the fingers work this week and see if I can write <laughs> something up. Uh, Look, I, 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 yeah, I'll say yes. Let's let's just okay, we'll, do it. We'll say we'll, yes. We'll put the pressure on, all right? So if you're listening to our show in three or four days, go to theraw.com. And if he's not there, just slander him on Instagram. <laughs> and uh, Yuri, where can we find your work? So I've just recently started putting out a Substack website, as you'll know, Alex, for the last couple of weeks now it's been, and yep. got one coming up, you know, in the next day on the game one takeaways from today's Nuggets Phoenix Suns encounter and also on the New York Knicks and Miami Heat and what we should look forward to with the series preview because it's going to be absolutely one cork of a flashback, that's for sure. They're great articles that come right to my Gmail account. I've got to do the same with yours, Tom, so I can read them at work. Uh, and as always, my name's Alexander J. You can find me at the 5-Minute Basketball Podcast, B-Ball Bites, if you're a sicko and you need extra basketball stuff. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you back here next week to talk about what should be a really interesting round two. As you can hear, we're all really excited about a lot of these games. We've got game seven predictions everywhere. Um, and you can find us on Instagram at Mojo Sports Network or Mojo Stateside. I direct, host, edit the show. Executive producer for us is Ben McQueen. He gets he messages me after these podcasts and says, you've got to say I'm the executive producer. He doesn't. <laughs> He'll hate me saying that. Uh, and if you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us um, a, a like or a rating and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for sticking around with us this far. Tom and Yuri, as always, it's my pleasure to have you guys and we'll talk soon. Thank you, Alex. Really appreciate it. See you guys.